Chapter 10 of Astoria or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Disquieting rumors from the interior, reconnoitering party, preparations for a trading post, an unexpected arrival, a spy in the camp, expedition into the interior, shores of the Columbia, Mount Coffin, Indian Sepulchre the land of spirits columbian valley vancouver's point falls and rapids a great fishing mart the village of wishram difference between fishing indians and hunting indians effects of habits of trade on the indian character post established at the okanagan while the astorians were busily occupied in completing their factory and fort a report was brought to them by an indian from the upper part of the river that a party of thirty white men had appeared on the banks of the columbia and were actually building houses at the second rapids this information caused much disquiet we have already mentioned that the northwest company had established posts to the west of the rocky mountains in a district called by them new caledonia which extended from latitude fifty two to fifty five degrees north being within the british territories it was now apprehended that they were advancing within the american limits and were endeavoring to seize upon the upper part of the river and forestall the american fur company in the surrounding trade in which case bloody feuds might be anticipated such as had prevailed between the rival fur companies in former days a reconnoitering party was sent up the river to ascertain the truth of the report they ascended to the foot of the first rapid about two hundred miles but could hear nothing of any white men being in the neighborhood not long after their return however further accounts were received by two wandering indians which established the fact that the northwest company had actually erected a trading house on the spokane river which falls into the north branch of the columbia what rendered this intelligence the more disquieting was the inability of the astorians in their present reduced state as to numbers and the exigencies of their new establishment to furnish detachments to penetrate the country in different directions and fix the posts necessary to secure the interior trade it was resolved however at any rate to advance a counter-check to this post on the spokane and one of the partners mr david stewart prepared to set out for the purpose with eight men and a small assortment of goods he was to be guided by the two indians who knew the country and promised to take him to a place not far from the spokane river and in a neighborhood abounding with beaver here he was to establish himself and to remain for a time provided he found the situation advantageous and the natives friendly on the fifteenth of july when mr stewart was nearly ready to embark a canoe made its appearance standing for the harbor and manned by nine white men much speculation took place who these strangers could be for it was too soon to expect their own people under mr hunt who were to cross the continent as the canoe drew near the british standard was distinguished on coming to land one of the crew stepped on shore and announced himself as mr david thompson astronomer and partner of the northwest company according to his account he had set out in the preceding year with a tolerably strong party and a supply of indian goods to cross the rocky mountains 
a part of his people however had deserted him on the eastern side and returned with the goods to the nearest northwest post he had persisted in crossing the mountains with eight men who remained true to him they had traversed the higher regions and ventured near the source of the columbia where in the spring they had constructed a cedar canoe the same in which they had reached astoria this in fact was the party dispatched by the northwest company to anticipate mr astor in his intention of effecting a settlement at the mouth of the columbia river it appears from information subsequently derived from other sources that mr thompson had pushed on his course with great haste calling at all the indian villages in his march presenting them with british flags and even planting them at the forks of the rivers proclaiming formally that he took possession of the country in the name of the king of great britain for the northwest company as his original plan was defeated by the desertion of his people it is probable that he descended the river simply to reconnoitre and ascertain whether an american settlement had been commenced mr thompson was no doubt the first white man who descended the northern branch of the columbia from so near its source lewis and clark struck the main body of the river at the forks about four hundred miles from its mouth they entered it from lewis river its southern branch and thence descended though mr thompson could be considered as little better than a spy in the camp he was received with great cordiality by mr mcdougall who had a lurking feeling of companionship and goodwill for all of the northwest company he invited him to headquarters where he and his people were hospitably entertained nay further being somewhat in extremity he was furnished by mr mcdougall with goods and provisions for his journey back across the mountains much against the wishes of mr david stewart who did not think the object of his visit entitled him to any favor on the twenty-third of july mr stewart set out upon his expedition to the interior his party consisted of four of the clerks messrs pillet ross mclennan and montigny two canadian voyageurs and two natives of the sandwich islands they had three canoes well laden with provisions and with goods and necessities for a trading establishment mr thompson and his party set out in company with them it being his intention to proceed direct to montreal the partners at astoria forwarded by him a short letter to mr astor informing him of their safe arrival at the mouth of the columbia and that they had not yet heard of mr hunt the little squadron of canoes set sail with a favorable breeze and soon passed tongue point a long high and rocky promontory covered with trees and stretching far into the river opposite to this on the northern shore is a deep bay where the columbia anchored at the time of the discovery and which is still called gray's bay from the name of her commander from hence the general course of the river for about seventy miles was nearly southeast varying in breadth according to its bays and indentations and navigable for vessels of three hundred tons the shores were in some places high and rocky with low marshy islands at their feet subject to inundation and covered with willows poplars and other trees that love an alluvial soil sometimes the mountains receded and gave place to beautiful plains and noble forests 
while the river margin was richly fringed with trees of deciduous foliage the rough uplands were crowned by majestic pines and firs of gigantic size some towering to the height of between two and three hundred feet with proportionate circumference out of these the indians wrought their great canoes and pirogues at one part of the river they passed on the northern side an isolated rock about one hundred and fifty feet high rising from a low marshy soil and totally disconnected with the adjacent mountains this was held in great reverence by the neighboring indians being one of their principal places of sepulture the same provident care for the deceased that prevails among the hunting tribes of the prairies is observable among the piscatory tribes of the rivers and sea-coast among the former the favorite horse of the hunter is buried with him in the same funereal mound and his bow and arrows are laid by his side that he may be perfectly equipped for the happy hunting-grounds of the land of spirits among the latter the indian is wrapped in his mantle of skins laid in his canoe with his paddle his fishing-spear and other implements beside him and placed aloft on some rock or other eminence overlooking the river or bay or lake that he has frequented he is thus fitted out to launch away upon those placid streams and sunny lakes stocked with all kinds of fish and waterfowl which are prepared in the next world for those who have acquitted themselves as good sons good fathers good husbands and above all good fishermen during their mortal sojourn the isolated rock in question presented a spectacle of the kind numerous dead bodies being deposited in canoes on its summit while on poles around were trophies or rather funeral offerings of trinkets garments baskets of roots and other articles for the use of the deceased a reverential feeling protects these sacred spots from robbery or insult the friends of the deceased especially the women repair here at sunrise and sunset for some time after his death singing his funeral dirge and uttering loud wailings and lamentations from the number of dead bodies in canoes observed upon this rock by the first explorers of the river it received the name of mount coffin which it continues to bear beyond this rock they passed the mouth of a river on the right bank of the columbia which appeared to take its rise in a distant mountain covered with snow the indian name of this river was the cowlisky some miles farther on they came to the great columbian valley so called by lewis and clark it is sixty miles in width and extends far to the southeast between parallel ridges of mountains which bound it on the east and west through the centre of this valley flowed a large and beautiful stream called the willamette which came wandering for several miles through a yet unexplored wilderness the sheltered situation of this immense valley had an obvious effect upon the climate it was a region of great beauty and luxuriance with lakes and pools and green meadows shaded by noble groves various tribes were said to reside in this valley and along the banks of the willamette about eight miles above the mouth of the willamette the little squadron arrived at vancouver's point so called in honor of that celebrated voyager by his lieutenant broughton when he explored the river this point is said to present one of the most beautiful scenes on the columbia a lovely meadow with a silver sheet of limpid water in the centre enlivened by wild fowl a range of hills crowned by forests 
while the prospect is closed by mount hood a magnificent mountain rising into a lofty peak and covered with snow the ultimate landmark of the first explorers of the river point vancouver is about one hundred miles from astoria here the reflux of the tide ceases to be perceptible to this place vessels of two and three hundred tons burden may ascend the party under the command of mr stewart had been three or four days in reaching it though we have forborne to notice their daily progress and nightly encampments from point vancouver the river turned towards the northeast and became more contracted and rapid with occasional islands and frequent sandbanks these islands are furnished with a number of ponds and at certain seasons abound with swans geese brants cranes gulls plover and other wildfowl the shores too are low and closely wooded with such an undergrowth of vines and rushes as to be almost impassable about thirty miles above point vancouver the mountains again approach on both sides of the river which is bordered by stupendous precipices covered with the fir and the white cedar and enlivened occasionally by beautiful cascades leaping from a great height and sending up wreaths of vapour one of these precipices or cliffs is curiously worn by time and weather so as to have the appearance of a ruined fortress with towers and battlements beetling high above the river while two small cascades one hundred and fifty feet in height pitch down from the fissures of the rocks the turbulence and rapidity of the current continually augmenting as they advanced gave the voyagers intimation that they were approaching the great obstructions of the river and at length they arrived at strawberry island so called by lewis and clark which lies at the foot of the first rapid as this part of the columbia will be repeatedly mentioned in the course of this work being the scene of some of its incidents we shall give a general description of it in this place the falls or rapids of the columbia are situated about one hundred and eighty miles above the mouth of the river the first is a perpendicular cascade of twenty feet after which there is a swift descent for a mile between islands of hard black rock to another pitch of eight feet divided by two rocks about two and a half miles below this the river expands into a wide basin seemingly dammed up by a perpendicular ridge of black rock a current however sets diagonally to the left of this rocky barrier where there is a chasm forty-five yards in width through this the whole body of the river roars along swelling and whirling and boiling for some distance in the wildest confusion through this tremendous channel the intrepid explorers of the river lewis and clark passed in their boats the danger being not from the rocks but from the great surges and whirlpools at the distance of a mile and a half from the foot of this narrow channel is a rapid formed by two rocky islands and two miles beyond is a second great fall over a ledge of rocks twenty feet high extending nearly from shore to shore the river is again compressed into a channel from fifty to a hundred feet wide worn through a rough bed of hard black rock along which it boils and roars with great fury for the distance of three miles this is called the long narrows here is the great fishing place of the columbia in the spring of the year when the water is high the salmon ascend the river in incredible numbers 
as they passed through this narrow strait the indians standing on the rocks or on the end of wooden stages projecting from the banks scooped them up with small nets distended on hoops and attached to long handles and cast them on the shore they are then cured and packed in a peculiar manner after having been opened and disemboweled they are exposed to the sun on scaffolds erected on the river banks when sufficiently dry they are pounded fine between two stones pressed into the smallest compass and packed in baskets or bales of grass matting about two feet long and one in diameter lined with the cured skin of a salmon the top is likewise covered with fish skins secured by cords passing through holes in the edge of the basket packages are then made each containing twelve of these bales seven at bottom five at top pressed close to each other with the corded side upward wrapped in mats and corded these are placed in dry situations and again covered with matting each of these packages contains from ninety to a hundred pounds of dried fish which in this state will keep sound for several years we have given this process at some length as furnished by the first explorers because it marks a practised ingenuity in preparing articles of traffic for a market seldom seen among our aboriginals for like reason we would make a special mention of the village of wishram at the head of the long narrows as being a solitary instance of an aboriginal trading mart or emporium here the salmon caught in the neighboring rapids are warehoused to await customers hither the tribes from the mouth of the columbia repaired with the fish of the sea-coast the roots berries and especially the wapatu gathered in the lower parts of the river together with goods and trinkets obtained from the ships which casually visit the coast hither also the tribes from the rocky mountains brought down horses bear grass quamash and other commodities of the interior the merchant fishermen at the falls acted as middlemen or factors and passed the objects of traffic as it were cross-handed trading away part of the wares received from the mountain tribes to those of the rivers and plains and vice versa their packages of pound salmon entered largely into the system of barter and being carried off in opposite directions found their way to the savage hunting camps far in the interior and to the casual white traders who touched upon the coast we have already noticed certain contrarieties of character between the indian tribes produced by their diet and mode of life and nowhere are they more apparent than about the falls of the columbia the indians of this great fishing mart are represented by the earliest explorers as sleeker and fatter but less hardy and active than the tribes of the mountains and prairies who live by hunting or of the upper parts of the river where fish is scanty and the inhabitants must eke out their subsistence by digging roots or chasing the deer indeed whenever an indian of the upper country is too lazy to hunt yet is fond of good living he repairs to the falls to live in abundance without labor by such worthless dogs as these says an honest trader in his journal which now lies before us by such worthless dogs as these are these noted fishing-places peopled which like our great cities may with propriety be called the headquarters of vitiated principles the habits of trade and the avidity of gain have their corrupting effects even in the wilderness 
as may be instanced in the members of this aboriginal emporium for the same journalist denounces them as saucy impudent rascals who will steal when they can and pillage whenever a weak party falls in their power that he does not belie them will be evidenced hereafter when we have occasion again to touch at wishram and navigate the rapids in the present instance the travellers effected the laborious ascent of this part of the river with all its various portages without molestation and once more launched away in smooth water above the high falls the two parties continued together without material impediment for three or four hundred miles further up the columbia mr thompson appearing to take a great interest in the success of mr stewart and pointing out places favourable as he said to the establishment of his contemplated trading-post mr stewart who distrusted his sincerity at length pretended to adopt his advice and taking leave of him remained as if to establish himself while the other proceeded on his course towards the mountains no sooner however had he fairly departed than mr stewart again pushed forward under guidance of the two indians nor did he stop until he had arrived within about one hundred and forty miles of the spokane river which he considered near enough to keep the rival establishment in check the place which he pitched upon for his trading post was a point of land about three miles in length and two in breadth formed by the junction of the okanagan with the columbia the former is a river which has its source in a considerable lake about one hundred and fifty miles west of the point of junction the two rivers about the place of their confluence are bordered by immense prairies covered with herbage but destitute of trees the point itself was ornamented with wild flowers of every hue in which innumerable hummingbirds were banqueting nearly the livelong day the situation of this point appears to be well adapted for a trading-post the climate was salubrious the soil fertile the rivers well stocked with fish the natives peaceable and friendly there were easy communications with the interior by the upper waters of the columbia and the lateral stream of the okanagan while the downward current of the columbia furnished a highway to astoria availing himself therefore of the driftwood which had collected in quantity in the neighbouring bends of the river mr stewart and his men set to work to erect a house which in a little while was sufficiently completed for their residence and thus was established the first interior post of the company we will now return to notice the progress of affairs at the mouth of the columbia End of chapter ten